Want even more access to everything pet? Get your ticket to PetCon. PetCon will take place November 17th and 18th at the Javits Center in New York City. PetCon is two days of meet and greets with your favorite Instagram pets, fun activations, insightful panels, a highly curated selection of awesome and innovative products for your shopping pleasure, and of course, lots of adorable, adoptable pets. Tickets are going fast. Make sure to get yours today at petcon.co. That's P-E-T-C-O-N dot C-O. Hi, I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to The Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. A lot of times people go in with an idea of what they're looking for and they may fall in love with something completely different. So keep an open mind because I'm a perfect example. Never would have thought I would have had a Pomeranian. I actually wasn't too big of a fan of Boston Terriers until I adopted Abigail. Minnie, who is beautiful, sheds like crazy and I never wanted a dog who shedded like crazy. So, so, you know, just keep an open mind because you can end up with the greatest love of your life. Like I have like a hundred times. That was Joey Texera, Senior Manager at the ASPCA and Human to the Dog Agency client, Mervyn the Chihuahua. Joey will talk about the work he does at the ASPCA, his adopted pet family, and how Mervyn has changed his life. Now let's get back to Joey. So thank you, Joey and Mervyn, for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. So going back to the beginning, were you always a dog person? Yes, I have always been a dog person. I love all animals, but growing up, I had a a big dog named Jethro. And after that, we had a dog named Ellie Mae. And then I moved out and got my own brood. (laughs) What kind of dogs were they? So Jethro was a big mutt. He was probably some German Shepherd, some Lab. He was a big, beautiful dog. And then Ellie Mae is a Lassa Apso. Once you left home and were on your own, did you get a dog immediately? Yeah, I would say probably within three months of moving out, I adopted a senior dog named Moose, who was a Pomeranian from a shelter in Brooklyn. And why a senior dog? I just love senior dogs. I think that they're so cute. And when you adopt a senior dog, you kind of know what you're getting because their personalities are pretty formed. A lot of times they have lived in a home before, so they know you know, how to hold out to go to the bathroom. They don't have accidents. Um, and I think that they just kind of appreciate you more. And then after Moose? After Moose, I adopted a dog named Squeaky, who was actually abandoned at one of my previous jobs. And she unfortunately had a tumor the size of like a grapefruit. So the vets didn't think she had too much longer. So I I brought her home and I was like, she'll have a good, you know, couple weeks with me. Um, But she actually ended up living almost two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had Moose and Squeaky for a while. And then unfortunately, Squeaky passed. And I heard about this little deaf Boston Terrier. Through a series of really strange coincidences, I happened to find her and meet people from... Brooklyn and Jersey City who were all dealing with her and I adopted her and brought her home. So that was Abigail, who I still have. (laughs) After her, I adopted a kitten named Lily. Had her for about four years, but unfortunately she genetically had some bad kidneys, so she passed away. But while we had Lily, we also adopted a dog named Minnie, 
who is the sweetest, most beautiful angel dog I think I've ever met. She was a foster and she came up from the south. And when she came up, she was completely shut down. She wouldn't eat, she wouldn't walk, she wouldn't really even stand up. So I brought her home because Abigail is so outgoing and so friendly. I was like, oh, they can be friends. Maybe Abby will help her come out of her shell a little bit. And they immediately bonded and they are the best of friends still. Six years later, you know, Minnie will just sit there and Abigail will just lick her face for like hours. They are just inseparable. So I obviously couldn't separate them. So that's why we ended up adopting her as well. And then then we were good for a little while (laughs) until Mr. Mervyn found his way into our lives. And again, I brought him home as a, a foster because he was brought into the shelter as an emaciated stray and he was in very bad condition. He had to have both of his back legs repaired by an orthopedic surgeon and he had to have all of his teeth removed because they were just rotting out of his head. So needless to say, with all that he was going through, he was pretty cranky in the shelter and he was there for a few months. And I remember the first time I saw him, I walked by his kennel and there was just a pile of blankets. And as I walked by, the blankets started moving and barking. And that was pretty much Mervyn's MO was just like to yell at whoever was walking past. So I thought he could use a little break from the shelter. So I brought him home pretty much immediately. He nestled into our hearts and we knew that that he was gonna stay as well. And that's how we ended up adopting Mervyn. And then it happened again when Jack came around a few <laughs> years later. I remember Jack was brought in. Uh, he was surrendered by his owners because they were moving and they couldn't take him with them wherever they were going. So I remember he came in and he was this tiny little pathetic cute thing. And I was like, oh my God, you are so cute. And, you know, Mervyn had really lowered our defenses for chihuahuas (laughs) and Jack was only like three pounds and we brought him home again and he never left. How many dogs do you have right now? Right now we have four dogs. It's a lot. It is a lot. It's definitely worth it. We love them a lot. At one time at our height we had five dogs and a cat so four dogs is a little bit easier Um, but no more animals are on the horizon for us that we are planning right now. How do you decide when when you're done adopting? Do you have you decided this in the past and then just kind of caved? How do you balance that? Well, I say no more animals right now. No more dogs right now. We live on the fifth floor, so walking them is kind of a hassle. For people who might not know, you live in the city, so you, yes. it's not like you live out in the country with like a huge yard and all of these animals. You are in an, a city apartment. <laughs> yes, I'm in a one bedroom, fifth floor walk up in Manhattan. <laughs> So yeah, so walking four dogs every day, at least three times a day is a lot. So no more dogs for now. Maybe a cat. We'll see. Would you get any other animals beyond dogs and cats? Oh, definitely. Well, right now we also have a betta fish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The um, easiest of them all. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And um, I really, really love pigeons. So I would definitely adopt an injured pigeon if if it ever... uh, Why pigeons? You know, I don't know. I feel like living in the city and liking pigeons is very weird. It is. Most people hate pigeons, but I really, really like them. Uh, I go up on my roof and uh, kind of feed them sometimes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they are very friendly. There's a lot of them up there. But yeah, I love birds. I love I love all animals. So we'll see. 
if I if we ever move out of the city. That was my next question. Do you yeah. have plans to? <laughs> <laughs> if we ever move out of the city, who knows what we'll get? Yeah. Interesting. Is that on the horizon? Not in the near future. So back to knowing when you're done and adopting new dogs, how do you balance that? So it's kind of a balancing act, I think. You know, right now we have four dogs. We have gotten into a good groove where, you know, we have a dog walker and and we can take them out. Right now we can't afford anymore because between Mervyn's cancer treatments and Abigail's cancer treatments, we're spending a ton of money. Um, So that is definitely... uh, stopping us from adopting more it's also kind of tough you know when we want to like leave the city or go on vacation to find somebody that we trust who can take care of all four of them is a lot of work so who do you leave them with when you do travel my mom so we have a dog walker that we love and trust who lives a couple blocks from us but she has like five dogs of her own and a rabbit and a cat and so she can't really watch them and I'm super, super mama bear overprotective, so I don't really trust anybody else other than my mother. <laughs> so she watches them for us. Dory and Hillary swap. Yeah, that's it's like funny. a little TDA family. I would, yeah, I would definitely. I think I would. <laughs> All very overprotective yeah. humans. Yeah, I would definitely trust like Dory or Hillary. Yeah. But again, they have like a hundred dogs of their own each. So <laughs> yeah, Hillary's Hillary's uh, caught up to us. Yeah, she's at four now too. You guys are like in a little race. <laughs> Uh, that's Elbian's mom for people who don't remember from the podcast a few weeks ago. So when you started adopting all of these pets, were you working in rescue or did that happen after? So when I first started adopting probably 10 years ago, um, I was not working in rescue, but I soon got into the animal field, I guess you could say. I was working for a, a pretty big doggy daycare in Manhattan. So I was in the dog world and, and I started getting involved with uh, animal rescue. And then I left that dog daycare and I, I moved actually to Jersey City and I helped open one, a very big one there. And I got more involved with rescue. And then after I left there, I went to the ASPCA and now it's pretty much my life. <laughs> so what exactly is the ASPCA and how is it different from the other rescue organizations? Hmm. It's probably easier to to say what it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) So the ASPCA is the nation's oldest animal welfare organization. What does it stand for? It stands for the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And it started actually right here in New York City back in 1866. And it was to help protect the carriage horses in New York City. And obviously since then, it has grown tremendously to a national organization. And it doesn't just focus on horses. It focuses on farm animals, disaster response, dog fighting, cock fighting, puppy mills, hoarding, adoptions, bay neuter, you name it. Pretty much the ASPCA does a lot. And you've had multiple roles there. Yes. My first role there actually was overseeing the adoptions at the Adoption Center in New York City. So I was the manager of customer relations, overseeing the front desk and getting to watch all the animals leave the building with their new families. My role expanded in the adoption center. And then after about three and a half years, I made a a little bit of a career jump to the corporate side of things and fundraising. That's where I am today. 
And do they have just dogs and cats or do they have other kinds of animals as well? At the Adoption Center in New York City, they only do dogs and cats, but they do assist other animals such as farm animals through their farm animal campaigns. They have a great Shop With Your Heart campaign. For anybody who wants to shop humanely, they have a whole list of actual brands that you can buy. This way you don't have to think about it or research. You can just take it to your grocery store and pick which ones you want. That's really one of my favorite things that I love to talk about because people want to do the right thing. You know, they want to shop humanely. They don't want to participate in animal cruelty. And Bay's PCA is making it easy for you to do so. And what kind of work do they do with puppy mills? So there is a puppy mill campaign that works with different lawmakers to help draft bills and really try to pass good laws. Um, And then we also have our field investigative response team. That's probably what the ASPCA is most well known for. That's what you'll see in the commercials where they will go in and actually break up puppy mills, seize the animals, adopt them out, and then help whatever local government it is prosecute. How did you originally end up there? And were you looking at other rescue organizations and how did you pick the ASPCA? So I always knew about the ASPCA. Growing up in New York and around the holidays, all those Sarah McLaughlin commercials, who doesn't know the ASPCA, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I was starting to look kind of for a new role and a friend of mine mentioned that there was an opening at this uh, at this great organization. So I applied and And one thing led to another, and I guess they liked me because they hired me. (laughs) And what is your day-to-day now at the ASPCA? My day-to-day now is a lot of relationship building. So I oversee specifically planned giving, which is wills, trusts, annuities. And then I also oversee the major gifts for the Northeast. So donors who are individual donors who are making large gifts annually. So I do a lot of relationship building on the day-to-day. And then perk of my job, I guess you could say, is I actually get to go and see the work that we do firsthand, which is really powerful and impactful. Can you touch on that a little more? So the ASPCA has the biggest footprint in the highest uh, population areas, because that makes sense. That's where we can make the biggest impact. So New York City, obviously I'm very well-versed in what we do here because I live here. But we also have a very large footprint now in Los Angeles. So we do a lot of safety net programs and spay-neuter programs out there. And I get to go out there um, from time to time and shadow and help out and really get to see the people on the ground who are doing this great work. We just opened a behavior rehab center in North Carolina, which is incredible. We did a pilot program in New Jersey that did so well, it outperformed what we expected. So we opened up this beautiful facility in May, and I'm actually going down to see it in October, which I'm super excited about. The Behavior Rehab Center is for dogs who are victims of cruelty, who otherwise may not be quote-unquote adoptable. So it's in Asheville, North Carolina, and it's also going to be a teaching program where shelters can come free of charge and learn these behavior rehab techniques and take it back to their shelters to hopefully help them with the dogs that they have in their shelters. So I get to go see work we do like that. And then also, I mentioned earlier, our field investigative response. Those guys are really just, they're the heroes. They are the ones who go and break up these dog fights, these dog fighting rings, these cock fighting rings. Last year during all those hurricanes that we had back to back, 
They were working around the clock, having, I think there was like nine operations going across the country. Uh, they were in St. Croix with all these volcanic eruptions. They were in uh, Hawaii. So that's another thing that I get to do when I have, when my schedule permits, is I actually get to go on deployment with them and actually help. So back during the hurricanes, I worked for like two weeks straight from New York remotely helping with all the resources, with planning people's flights and uh, hotels and transportation and all that. So it's a unique perk of my, my role is that I really get to be involved and see things that are happening across the country. And October is Adopt a Shelter Dog Month. Yes. October is Adopt a Shelter Dog Month. (laughs) I will not be doing that this year. We like to promote adoption as much as we can because there's millions of animals in the shelters who are looking for homes. So definitely this October, if you haven't already, go out and adopt a shelter dog because they are wonderful. Mervin was a shelter dog. Go get your own Mervin. (laughs) (laughs) Back to Mervin, which is how we got connected. Yes. So how has Mervin changed your life? Well, Mervin has brought me into this crazy social media world, which is crazy. (laughs) I don't know if there's another way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, being the plus one for your dog is pretty cool and funny. But really what he's done is just kind of uh, inspired me. He is such a tiny little dog in such a tiny little body, and he has been through so much. You know, I'm not familiar with his life before the shelter but you know since the shelter he had to have both of his back legs repaired he had all of his teeth removed he had to have a surgery on his gums because he developed a hole he got a bladder blockage which i didn't know dogs could do i only heard of it in cats he had crystals in and so he couldn't go to the bathroom and he got poisoned his like bladder ruptured and he was in the hospital he got malignant melanoma and had to have surgery on his eyelid and had to go through cancer treatment so for such a tiny little little how much does he weigh he's real tiny he's four pounds for such a tiny little guy to just make it through all that and still be so happy and so cute and just lovable and He loves everybody. He's just, he's inspirational. One of my favorite things about his accounts is the joy that it brings people. I never realized like how big of an impact you could make through social media. And I mean, we get messages and comments from people who sometimes are like, you know, Mervin was the only bright spot in my day today. Thank you. Like it gives me chills because I'm like, you know, I was just posting a cute photo of my dog and it like really made a difference in somebody's day. So I would say that's probably the best way Mervin's changed our lives. It's just being able to make people smile. And expanding on that, having so many dogs, what is it about Mervin, do you think, that caused him to become social media famous and kind of stand out above the rest? Hmm. I think a couple things. I think, well, obviously, when you just look at him, he's cute. He's got that tongue that everybody just loves. Like, everybody mentions it when they see him. Oh, my God, his tongue is sticking out because <laughs> it's just cute. But I also try to kind of share what it's like to have a dog. We welcome people to go on this journey with us through his medical issues. And, and when he's being fresh, you know, I'll upload <laughs> a photo of him just barking and yelling at somebody for no reason. So I think that people, like, connect with that kind of authenticity of like this is a really cute dog but oh wait he's still a little dog and he's still a chihuahua and chihuahua's reputations precede them (laughs) so i think that his cute little tongue his cute little face 
and just his cute little personality is really what kind of skyrocketed him to his his current fame. Was it a steady increase or was there one moment where it just really took off? It's been kind of a roller coaster, like ebbs and flows. Sometimes I'm like, oh, we've plateaued. We haven't grown for quite some time. This is it. And then something will happen and we'll get a boost of like 20,000 followers and it's great. <laughs> and so touching on the the cancer a little bit, how did you discover it and what has that process been like? Yeah, so he had a growth on his eyelid. It started out as a freckle and then it just kept growing and it was pretty noticeable. His followers would sometimes comment on it like, what's on his eye? So, you know, we, we of course brought him to the vet because of where it was located on his eye. Um, we actually had to see a specialist, an ophthalmologist. So they removed it and they had to do surgery to correct the eyelid, otherwise he would have lost his eye. And then it came back as malignant melanoma. So after that, we had to go start seeing an oncologist. And it was very scary because with melanoma, you know, it's kind of very variable. Sometimes it's really not a big deal and sometimes it's a really big deal. So luckily, they apparently have a melanoma vaccine for dogs. Yeah. I know, I was shocked too. Animal Medical Center, where he gets treated, actually developed the vaccine with Memorial Sloan Kettering. That's incredible. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's great. Um, it's also super expensive. It's a series. <laughs> <laughs> it was a series of like five, I think it was five vaccines over the course of a few months. Every six months, he'll need a booster vaccine as well. He just had a six months where we did an x-ray to see if there was any cancer. There wasn't. He got his booster, so he's doing good. He's feeling good. But yeah, I, I didn't even know dogs could get malignant melanoma. And, you know, I'm not a veterinarian, but apparently there's like three spots where they can kind of get like these melanomas. And if it's on their body, it's usually benign. If it's on like a mucous membrane, like their nose, their eyes, their private parts, um, some, it's usually malignant. And then apparently if it's in their nail beds, it's like highly malignant. Anyway, if your dogs have any freckles, any growths, any moles, get them checked out. You too, as people. Is there something that can be done to protect against it? Is it like, do they wear sunscreen to protect against it? Like, human, like how does that work? So, yeah, just staying out of the sun, really. We try to keep Mervyn out of the sun. When we go on walks, we walk in the shade. We don't stay out too long. The oncologist said he, we can put hats on him, which we try to do, oh. which he actually really hates, but he looks really cute in them. So sometimes <laughs> we just put them on for a photo. So beyond all the amazing work you do with your own pets and the ASPCA, you also spend your weekends and your free time doing other charity work. Can you <laughs> touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I like to give back. You know, I've kind of devoted my career to helping animals, but I also like to help people. So uh, um, my weekends are kind of spent volunteering. I volunteer with this great organization called In Tandem. We ride tandem bikes around Central Park with somebody with some sort of either visual impairment or balance impairment. They sit on the back because they otherwise wouldn't be able to ride a bike. So that's really fun. It's a great way to get in what I call secret cardio because <laughs> I hate cardio, but when I'm riding a bike with somebody, it doesn't feel like cardio. I also volunteer with this great program called Art and Acceptance, and it is a program for homeless or marginally housed LGBT youth. And I do that on Saturday nights. It's a 
kind of like a drop-in program where they can come and get a hot meal, maybe some toiletries, some clothes, and just kind of like a, a safe place where they can be themselves. So just jumping back a little bit to when you're bringing a new pet into the home, what is that process like of getting them acquainted and comfortable with each other? Yeah, so that's super important. Before you bring a pet home, whether you have one at home or don't, you want to make sure everybody in the house is on board, whether it be kids, roommates, other pets. Um, Make sure everybody is on board. And then like if it's your first pet, before you bring them home, you actually should get down on your hands and knees and see the world from their view because you're going to see wires and things that should be picked up, things like that. A lot of people don't realize like, oh, I need to, you know, pet proof my house just like you would baby proof a house. Then when you're bringing home a new animal, you want to have patience. They're in a completely new environment. They don't know what's going on. So just have patience. Don't force things. Don't force interactions between new pets. Don't force interactions between roommates or babies or kids. You know, just let the animal relax and come out of their shell and get their bearings. Cats, we actually suggest to put them in the bathroom for a few days with the litter box and their food and things like that because cats, sometimes they go off and they run and hide and and so they, they tend to feel more comfortable in a smaller space. You know, I've had people say, well, isn't that mean? It's so small. But if you think about it, if they're coming from a shelter and they're in a kennel that's, you know, a small box when they're going to a bathroom, that's infinitely bigger already. So, so yes, yeah, so I would say just patience is super important. Do you do training with them at all? That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you know any of my dogs, you know that I don't do training. <laughs> Um, But yes, doing basic obedience and and house training is obviously super important. If you don't know how to do it, hiring somebody and making sure that they do positive reinforcement training and not, you know, negative with like shock collars or anything like that. You want to always make sure it's a positive experience for your pet. Is there anything else people should know if they're adopting a pet for a first time? If you're adopting a pet for a first time, speak with the volunteers and the staff at the shelter or the rescue. They know these animals and they're going to be able to match you up. A lot of times people go in with an idea of what they're looking for and they may fall in love with something completely different. So keep an open mind because I'm a perfect example. Never would have thought I would have had a Pomeranian. I actually wasn't too big of a fan of Boston Terriers until I adopted Abigail. Minnie, who is beautiful, sheds like crazy, and I never wanted a dog who shedded like crazy. <laughs> so, so, you know, just keep an open mind because you can end up with the greatest love of your life like I have like a hundred times. And also what I think is really important for people adopting for the first time is to listen to staff and, and volunteers who are trying to make a good match because you may think that puppy is super, super cute, but if your lifestyle is not conducive for a puppy, it's not the best match. And you don't want to set yourself up for failure. You want to set yourself up for success. So really focus on personality and lifestyle and just be open-minded. So on the flip side of adopting, you probably see a lot of surrendering happening as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, life happens. And a lot of times people may not be able to keep a pet for whatever reason. They may have allergies. They may be moving. Their financial situation may have changed. Their living situation may have changed. You know, New York City housing is a huge issue. Affordable housing, pet-friendly housing. So yes, you do see your, your fair share of surrenders. But one stance that the ASPCA has taken is really 
to keep pets and people together because if an animal has a home, it should stay in that home. So, you know, we want to help try to the to keep that animal in the home so that we can focus on the animals who don't have homes or the victims of cruelty. Those are who we need to focus on. So, you know, we try we be we're understanding to anybody who needs to surrender. We try to provide resources if they need them, but you know, surrendering does happen and it's not the nicest thing to have to deal with. It's sad sometimes, but at least the person has brought them to a shelter where it's a safe environment as opposed to you know, other alternatives, which may not be so nice for the animal. So in trying to keep the people and the pet together, can you touch on that a little bit more and what you guys do? We do this a lot in Los Angeles. We have a huge safety net program out there. And a lot of times we have found that what all that people need is just a little bit of help to keep the pets out of the shelter. Whether that be spaying or neutering the pet, maybe the dog or cat has like an upper respiratory, just needs to see a vet. Maybe they just need some food to get them through, you know, the next couple of weeks, something like that. So the ASPCA actually sits outside of the shelters in Los Angeles at a little table with a tent. And as people are bringing their pets in, they say, is there anything we can do to help? And if there is, we help them. And then those people get to keep their pets. So what are future plans for you and Mervyn and and all of this? Hmm. Mervyn, what are our future plans? <laughs> World domination, I think Mervyn <laughs> would say. <laughs> you know, we want to keep growing his accounts, keep spreading his message of, of positivity and cuteness and love. Maybe a children's book someday, who knows? But yeah, no no set plans, just really continuing continuing Mervyn's life <laughs> and if people want to meet Mervin, where can oh, they meet Mervin? Yeah. <laughs> of course if people want to meet Mervin, they can come meet him at PetCon in <laughs> November on uh, November 17th and 18th that was Joey Texera senior manager at the ASPCA and human to the dog agency client Mervin the Chihuahua to keep up with Mervin, follow Mervin the Chihuahua on Instagram and Facebook and to rescue your own pet visit ASPCA.com adopt we hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us an awesome review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. To listen to past episodes, visit petinsider.com slash podcast. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon!